As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 18 there and then also from Hebrews chapter 10, where we will read verses 19 through 25. The sermon today is, is expanding on what we have talked about the last two weeks from Matthew uh, chapter 5 with regards to Jesus not coming to abrogate the Old Testament scriptures, but to fulfill them. But it also, um, I chose to do it this way, not only to expand on that for us with regards to our own um, understanding and practice of what does that mean for for us as, as followers of Christ, what does it mean for us as a church, but also the implications this has for us with regards to our participation in the Presbyterian Church in America. As you, as you heard Roger pray, um, the PCA was, was founded with this desire to be faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. And so let's, let's look at what God has to say to us this morning to help us in this pursuit. But truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, speak to us today through your word that all that we have already heard from you in the liturgies thus far would be brought home to us in that union that we have with Jesus Christ. What it means for us in our status of righteousness. What it means for us in the pursuit and practice of sanctification. What it means for us as we will participate both now and forevermore and bearing witness to your great acts as we will sing and worship with the angels and departed saints forever. And where even now, as we sing and worship with them today, we also have the privilege of calling others to join us in this eternal worship through the Great Commission. And so help us today that we would be recentered on this identity and calling we have as your people. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
On the surface, it may not seem as clear with how Matthew 5 and how the book of Hebrews as a whole is fitting together with this theme of of Christ not coming to abrogate the Old Testament scriptures, but to fulfill them. But what we have going on at the time in which Jesus is preaching the the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, as we have talked about so far, the leadership within Israel, those who were uh, were the ones leading and and supposedly guiding uh, God's people, which they were supposed to be doing according to the scriptures, they were instead, they were doing so according to their own ideas. And for the scribes and Pharisees who were on the, the far right, yeah, your far right in terms of being hyper-conservative, that you had this, this emphasis on the law, but not the law as it was revealed in the scriptures of the Old Testament, but the set of laws that had been put together through the ages um, as, as interpretations of that law. And they were saying, hey, this is, we're, we're telling you what this means, and we're making this more bite-sized for you. We're making it more doable for you. If you'll follow this, then you can count yourself as being so, someone who's keeping the Old Testament scriptures. Now, Jesus is very clear what he thinks about that approach. Uh, we read from Matthew 23 with the series of woes that Jesus is pronouncing against the hypocrites, the blind guides. But at the time in which the Sermon on the Mount is being preached, there's also a group that's on the far left, the Sadducees. These are also those who are part of the leadership within the church um, in this time, um, and they are those who would be considered more progressive. They, they saw the Old Testament scriptures as providing wisdom for ethics and how to you know, live a good life. They did not really embrace the supernatural nature. The sacrificial system was something that was part of the identity of God's people that made them special, which is why people you know, were to, to approach them and, and to pursue them, but... They weren't really, you know, doing anything with regards to righteousness before God. What the two groups shared together was that they completely misunderstood the need for a Savior. Both groups together, regardless if they were scribes and Pharisees or if they were Sadducees, They saw their need for a Messiah being tied to the visible earthly kingdom of Israel. They were living under Rome's boot. And they didn't like it, and they shouldn't have liked it. It was not fun. But what they were looking for in a Messiah was to come free them from being under the boot of Rome. What the Old Testament said the Messiah was needed for was to fulfill all righteousness. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they thought in and of themselves that they could check the box that we are righteous. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. Prior to his conversion to Jesus Christ, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And as for the law, I kept it. 
That's how he thought. He thought he was a keeper of the law. Well, if you're a keeper of the law, why do you need a Messiah? Well, it's not to keep the law because you keep it. You see what's happening here? There was this emphasis on this desire for something visible, tangible, within this age in which they would be seen as special and superior to all the kingdoms and nations around them. And the result is that they are approaching God and his word as it was revealed in the Old Testament. They're approaching it incorrectly. And the result is that they are blind guides leading the blind. Jesus has come to say, I'm going to provide you the necessary corrections to free you from the influence of death of those who carry around within themselves dead men's bones. The writer and the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jewish Christians who have converted to Jesus Christ. And this conversion to Jesus Christ has put them at odds with other Jews as well as Rome. Rome or the, the Jews, they, they had a semblance of, of acceptability to Rome. And as long as they stayed in their own lane, Rome would kind of leave them alone. But for the Christians, there was no lane for them to be in. They didn't have a lane for them to to drive in with regards to Israel. They didn't have a lane to drive in within within Rome. They were a people without an earthly home. They were a pilgrim people who were part of a spiritual kingdom. But the result for those who had embraced Christ is that they were getting it from both sides. And there was persecution coming from The Jews, there was persecution coming from Rome. And the temptation that is set before these Christians is this. Well, if I just start going back to temple, and if I leave this Christian thing, you know, just, you know, I'll keep it within my heart. I'll keep, you know, being a Christian in here. But I'm going to go back to the temple, I'm going to, I'm going to offer sacrifice, I'm going to go through the sacrificial system, and, I'm, and I'm, I'll, I'll live under the direction of the Pharisees. If I do that, guess what will happen? Well, my life won't be very difficult. I'll no longer be persecuted from the Jews because I'm, I'll, I'll be with them. And because I'm with them, I won't get persecuted by Rome you know, as long as the Jews stay within their lane, which we all know they didn't. <laughs> But you see the temptation? I can avoid a lot of pain. I can avoid a lot of suffering. I can avoid a lot of daily difficulty. If I just will go back to trying to relate to God through the old covenant system. Now think about the temptation. Not just from the perspective of wanting things not to be difficult and hard. But what had they left? They had left the grandeur of the temple. At this time in which the writer is writing, the temple still stands. That amazing wonder of the world where people from all over the ancient Near East would travel and and go through difficult, 
dangerous travel just to come to Jerusalem to get to see the glory of that temple. They had put that glory behind them. They had put behind them the glory of the temple's choirs and the beautiful music, which for us doesn't seem to be a big deal because we can open up iTunes and we can pretty much listen to whatever we want. We can have beautiful music anytime we want it at the touch of a button. In the ancient Near East, you didn't have that. You didn't have a radio. You didn't have an iPod. You didn't have these different forms of media. What you had to have was a real person with a real instrument that could play it well to have beautiful music. They were putting the glory of the temple. They were putting the glory of the music. They were putting the glory of that outward display of worship behind them. They were putting behind them the sights and smells of the sacrificial system. They were putting behind them the priesthood that they could see right in front of them, knowing, I know that a priest uh, that's been appointed to mediate between me and God, I know that I have that because I can see him. And if you got close enough to Aaron on the Day of Atonement or or to the high priest once a year, you could hear him because he would jingle. Right? Because of the little bells that were sewn into the hem of his robe. The robes were, were beautiful. The robes were ornate. They had gold sewed into them. They were giving up all kinds of worldly, earthly beauty and grandeur to hovel together in small homes to try to worship and pray, and to bear witness to Christ in what looked unimpressive, not beautiful, no no power, no earthly voice. They, they appeared to be silly, ridiculous people who worshipped a God who was defeated by Rome, by Rome nailing him to a cross. Well, what kind of God is that? And what kind of God leaves his people hoveling together in little small homes? You see, that's the, you see what's going on there? It's, it's real easy to get tempted to want to avoid difficulty and struggle. It's even more difficult, I think, for American evangelicals to say no to outward displays of glory. And power. The PCA came into existence because the mainline Southern Church, the uh, the mainline Presbyterian Church that had been originally founded in the 1700s, that yes had split during the Civil War, but then had come back together. A church whose history went back to England and Scotland. A church whose history through John Knox went back to the continent of Europe, went back to Calvin, went back to the other reformers in in Europe in in the Middle Ages. Who through Calvin and the other reformers went back into the Catholic church who through the ages went back to the apostles who went back to Christ. 
in Christ who came as the embodied fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures that that go back to God saying within himself, let us make man in our image. This is a long history and tradition. But what happened in the, the mainline church is that they left behind the content of Scripture. They became like the Sadducees, progressive to the point that the scriptures were not authoritative anymore. The scriptures were not supernatural reality, communicating supernatural realities. That the Bible was, was an excellent source of ethical wisdom. And if we embrace the ethical wisdom of the Bible, then we can establish, through the mission of the church, we can establish heaven on earth. We can do away with poverty. We can do away with war. We can uh, set up governments that, that will, uh, that will uh, lead uh, the world to, to, to not be involved in these other things, that the pursuit of power and, and wealth at the harm of one's neighbor. It was the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. But to achieve that, they had to to deconstruct the scripture and to remove its supernatural elements. But one of the challenges that I think also exists for us today, as the PCA is in its 50th year and as we are looking forward to many years to come, it, it is really easy to define ourselves over against the liberal. It is very easy to define ourselves over against the, those who are progressive that we feel like undermine the authority of Scripture, those uh, who want to champion ethics over missions, those who are uh, wanting to promote social justice over the gospel. It's so easy to get tempted to define ourselves over against that and to think, well, as long as we are not doing that, we will avoid the excesses and errors that we have attempted to come out of. But I think, like the Pharisees, we also have set before us this challenge of undermining the, the, the importance of Scripture, not because we say theologically that they're not supernatural, not because we say theologically that you know, Jesus was only a man. He wasn't a God-man. It's not because we say that Jesus didn't physically, bodily rise from the dead. It was just a spiritual thing. It's not because we say these different doctrines, but because a lot of times you and I will approach God, we will approach the existence of our church, and we can approach the mission of what's going on undermining the power and significance of the heavenly priesthood of Jesus Christ. We're not comfortable with priest language. We are reformed. We got out of the Roman Catholic Church because of the abuses of the... We can talk, it's okay. The abuses of the priesthood. 
the, the priesthood within the Roman Catholic Church that had set itself up as a mediator between God and man. So what did you have to do? You had to go to your priest to confess your sins. You had to go to your priest to get ab- absolution. You had to go to your priest, and a lot of times you had to pay them, and you had to do all kinds of stuff, right? They had all kind of power and control over you. We're not comfortable with priest language. We're not comfortable with, with things like this. And we often, as Americans, are really much more comfortable with the things that we can see, what we can hear, and what we can know. But set before us by the writer of Hebrews is nothing less than the Christ who has come as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and who has done so as a priest and who continues to do so as a priest. A few weeks ago when we did the first sermon from this section in Matthew chapter 5, I had someone come up to me afterwards and say, isn't it so nice you know, that you know, I didn't have to come and bring an animal with me to to, to worship. I didn't have to bring a sacrifice. And I was like, I don't know about you, but I had bacon this morning. Which is another whole beautiful thing, right? And she said that, I know what she meant. But then I reminded her. And yet, we come through the sacrifice of Christ. For the writer of Hebrews has described Christ as a priest who is doing the work of a priest who not just in his earthly ministry but in his resurrection and ascension he has gone into the heavenly temple to appear as our mediator before his father where the, 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 where the benefits of of his sacrifice are pled for us just like the blood of bulls and goats would have been pled for the worshiper who would have gone to the temple. The once for all sacrifice and the blood that Christ offered on the cross is pled for us actively by Christ in the heavenly places. And it is this ongoing priestly ministry of Jesus Christ as priest that provides us the confidence to live with God as his people participating in his purposes. But only when we truly embrace the desire to be faithful to all the scriptures. Even the weird parts. Even the blood and guts parts. Even discussions about what kind of, of uh, thread can be uh, combined with other kind of thread, which was not, right? All the different laws, all the different things that are discussed in the Old Testament, all of it. Jesus says, has not been abrogated, it has been fulfilled. And what that means for us is that the purification needed is a purification that is found in Christ. 
What it means for us is the cleansing of water, not just for outward bodies, but for our consciences, is a cleansing of water that has been provided by Jesus Christ. What it means is that this, this way to God has been opened up for us, not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of who Christ is. Jesus took flesh to himself to become the living tabernacle. So it's not just his death on the cross, his very life as the living tabernacle is where God joined himself to humanity in this special, unique way as God took on flesh. And as Christ lived in flesh, he was the living temple. But as Jesus died the sacrificial death, he has opened up the way into the heavenly temple where even Jesus' blood has consecrated it. Read back in Hebrews chapter 9. Do you see what's going on here? All the outward symbols, all the outward requirements, all those things that are in the Old Testament have all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and they have not been abrogated. They are still presently, actively used by God as they are fulfilled and mediated in Jesus Christ. So we get to eat bacon because the Old Testament food laws and the purpose that they had for revealing the need of purity and consecration to God, that has been fulfilled by Christ. And so now the food law, the specifics of the food laws are not needed. The substance is needed. And the way that we live in the purification of Christ and in the consecration of Christ is by actively engaging our hearts, our minds, and our souls in the ongoing priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. Every day we wake up and we enter the day through the mediation of Christ. Now this is a mindset issue. This is a heart issue. This is a, I'm not going to live the American life and tack Jesus onto it issue. This is a, I understand the totality of my existence as I live under the ongoing priestly work of Jesus Christ through whom he mediates all of God's word to me. Where in Christ I'm counted as someone who has kept God's word and in Christ I am called in the power of grace to reveal that word through my life. See, being faithful to the scriptures means that we don't leave portions of the scriptures out. And being true to the Reformed faith means that we don't chunk priesthood language, we don't chunk you know, the, the, the mysterious, we don't chunk out the stuff that can't be nicely and neatly formulated into ideas. What it means is we embrace the supernatural, ongoing priestly ministry of Jesus Christ and we revel in what it means to be united to Christ in that way so that I am counted righteous and I am empowered by grace to embody 
righteousness. And beloved, it is when we pursue our sanctification in Christ in fulfillment of all of the word of God that we participate well in the Great Commission. And this is what we're looking at in Matthew 5. How can the church right now, who has an image problem and who has a self-awareness gap, who has kind of gotten off by being focused on what the world is doing wrong rather than starting with ourselves, if we're going to have a genuine missionary encounter with this world, it starts with, our sanctification. And as we pursue the priestly ministry of Christ for ourselves, and as we do it corporately as a church, beloved, we get to invite and call others to join us in participating in the worship of the triune God in the perfect safety and security of the Christ who has done everything necessary for us that we might draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And so let us not get tempted, or when we get tempted, let us not give in to the temptation of wanting to avoid supernaturalism like has happened in the past and, and has led to the, the church losing its great commission. But also let us not become so far enamored to the right that we think if we just put forward the right ideas in the right words and, and force other people to hold to it, that that is what God is calling us to. Because just like at the time in which Jesus was preaching and saying, you need to avoid the extremes of the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we are called today to avoid the extremes of the progressives and the hard rights within the church. We are called to be a people who are, are faithful to all the scriptures as they are revealed and mediated to us in Christ. We are called to do this in a way that it truly reflects the beauty of the Reformed faith. Not the hammer of the Reformed faith. The beauty that the Reformed faith does in calling us to humble ourselves before Christ and to exalt Christ, not only to ourselves but to others. And as we do this in our own sanctification, and as we do this in our own worship, beloved, God will use the witness that we bear to call many more sons and daughters out of darkness and into light. Because in Christ, when we strive to be faithful to the scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and when we are engaged uh, in obedience to the Great Commission, we are filling out by the grace of God, as those who are accepted righteous in Christ, we are the salt of the world, or we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
We thank you so much, even as Roger prayed earlier, that you have been overseeing your church through the ages. And that even when your church has gone astray, even when your church has gotten confused, even when your church has left you behind, you have held your people in the palm of your hand, even as Jesus promised that the gates of hell could never prevail against you. And so we ask that even as you have given us this privilege and given us this joy to be part of, of, a, of a movement of your church that is championing these things that we believe you want us to champion as you have revealed them to us in Scripture, we ask that you would help us to fulfill our calling by grace that you would help us to embrace the sanctification process of being humbled by being emptied of ourselves to be filled with you so that we can take you to our neighbors. We pray that you would help us to be committed to the scriptures, all of them, old and new, as they are mediated to us in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. That the richness and depth of even the weird sections, Lord, would, would fill out for us just how amazing you are and how awesome your salvation is and the, the incredible privilege of what it means to be part of your people, to be represented by Christ and to sing with him as he leads the worship of the heavenly places. Father, help us to see the Scripture not, not only as a source for good ideas or a source for good ways of doing ministry, but as being the very lamp to our feet and the light of our path. Help us to continue to affirm that the Scripture alone is, is, the, is the verbally inspired word that you have provided to us so that through it you speak to us. Help us to read it, not to study its ideas simply, but to listen to you as you, as our Father, you speak to us to guide our hearts and to lead us in your way, to nourish our faith like newborn infants, that we may grow up in our salvation. And help us, Lord, to to even as we try to learn from, from the wisdom of the world and general revelation as, as, as it comes to us from outside sources, help us to always measure these things by the truth of your word. And help us, Lord, not to be scared. Help us not to, uh, to, to, to be driven, by, uh, driven in our ministry by, by being fearful and trying to draw lines and keep things out like the Pharisees. But may the sure confidence of the washing of water, of the cleansing of the blood, may that security that we have with you through Christ, may it give us a confidence to just love. Not as a way of trying to build ourselves up and show ourselves to be more important than others, but to reveal just how awesome you are. And so, Lord, as we pursue these things in Christ, in that mystical union that we have 
as being partakers of your life, your love, and your mission through Christ. Father, give us a heart for the Great Commission. Give us energy and diligence that we would make disciples, that we would baptize and disciple our children, and that we, Lord, would would be used by you to call new people into your church, that they may, may enter through the washing of the waters, those still waters where the judgment waters have been calmed, in order that they may find their place in the community of faith, And as they take and drink in the depths of your grace, the your means of grace, that we would all strive to live in obedience to what Christ has revealed, what Christ has fulfilled. And so lead us as we seek to make known to to everyone, Lord, your saving grace, your truth, your goodness, and your beauty that you freely share with all who will but simply receive Christ as he is offered in the gospel. We pray this for your glory alone, and as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, whatever earthly glory we give up now, we receive something eternal that it cannot even be described in words. And so lead us as our faith, Lord, will become sight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.